joining us for another Thursday edition, which is the day we have the pleasure of entertaining your questions, which I look very forward to for a couple of reasons. It makes me think. It helps me to know what's on other people's minds. And um, it's uh, the one day a week that I that my probation officer lets me talk to Mary Langston. Hey, Trey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. We have a lot of great questions today. It's a good blend of them. So are you ready? I don't know. I mean, you, you would know that better than I. When you say blend, I get worried because <laughs> if it's not sports or law related, chances are I don't know the answer, but but I'm happy to I'm happy to hear them out. Well, good news is most of them are law and sports. So good. <laughs> good. <laughs> we can't wait to hear what you say. I bet. I bet you can't. Well, we appreciate y'all for sending us your questions each week. We'll go ahead and start and we'll start with a question from Chris. And he writes, what aspects of having your own TV program are most fulfilling? And what have you found to be the most challenging? Uh, Chris, um, it's been wonderful. Um, Fox has been wonderful. They have surrounded me with outstanding uh, women and men who work with me on the show. And they work really, really hard. And I'm grateful for that, including the young woman that's on this call. She helps me with the TV show, too. So Fox has never once said you can't have this guest on or you must have that guest on. Never. Not once. And Fox has never said you must say this or you cannot say that. Um, So it's a gift to use one of Terry and Mary Langston's words. It's a gift to be able to talk to folks um, in their dens and living rooms and in their cars and Mm. You, you know, I mean, you know, when I was first starting off, I'm sure Fox would have wisely, smartly, appropriately put guardrails on. I mean, you can't talk about sports all five segments every single show, but that wasn't an issue because I didn't want to talk about sports all five segments, just like three of the five. They've never once said you must do this or you cannot do that. Uh, they let me write, which I love. I love to write. So they let me do that, but also have folks that are much better at it that, you know, look at what I've come up with and, you know, appropriately say that's unintelligible. So why don't you rework it or better yet, why don't we do that for you? So in terms of, you know, most fulfilling, it, it's just, it, it, it. I never in a million years thought I'd have a chance to do this. My background is not in television, as you can probably tell. But I am extremely grateful for the chance to do it. I'm extremely grateful that Fox lets me do it from South Carolina. And for the folks who watch mainly, because there are a lot of things you can be doing on Sunday night, lots of other stuff on. And I'm grateful to the folks who come on. Now, challenges, that's kind of one of the challenges. Sunday night is a hard night to ask folks to come on, uh, particularly folks that used to be, you know, or are still in the line of work that I used to be in. They have families, they have other things. Weekends are tough because you work during the week and even, you know, this misnomer, I don't want to get started on people that call, you know, when they're not in Washington vacation. It is the only people that say that have never been in Congress. It is actually more time consuming and harder when you're not in Washington. You can say no in Washington. 
you can't say no when you're in your district and you're asked to attend this or you're asked to attend that or people want to meet with you and they want to advocate for this issue or that issue. You can say no in Washington because nobody up there votes for you. You cannot say no in your home district or your home state. So it's actually harder when you're home. Um, I, I know that's not the popular thing to say. I'm supposed to say it's vacation, but it's not. So I'm not going to say it's vacation. It's hard to get people on Sunday nights and we're competing in terms of viewers, obviously, you're competing. There's, you know, there's NFL, there's golf, there's baseball, there's basketball. But the biggest challenge is balance, finding the balance between talking about what is newsworthy or necessary to address, but also try to find stories that are uplifting, maybe, or, you know, a lot of a lot of life is what you see. And if all you see or hear is bad stuff, you think that's all that exists. And the truth is, that's not the truth. Most people are really, really good, kind, decent people. And I, so I don't like the fact that bad actors get more attention than good actors. I, I don't like, you know, not to go back to the Bible, which Mary Langston knows a whole lot more about than I do. But, you know, there's a lot of lot of ink spent on the prodigal son who squandered his inheritance and left and. Not that much on the guy that stayed there and stood by his father's side. Worked. Not that much said about him. Mm. So people that do good don't get as much attention as people who do bad. And so the balance of trying to reconcile that reality with what we aspire to. Well, you do a good job of finding that balance, Trey. Thank you for answering that question. And thank you, Chris, for the question. Our next question is sports related, is from Gerald in Washington State. He writes, since you've been asking for a sports question, here is mine. In what direction do you think the Cowboys should go in this year's draft? Oh, Gerald, thank you. You know, I love sports. I'm not quite over uh, the Cowboys season. Um, mm-hmm. I was exchanging texts last night with my daughter. Here we are in what March football's nowhere to be found. And we're talking about the Cowboys. I, I think they need another elite wide receiver. I mean, CD lamb is really, really, really good, but I think they need another elite wide receiver. I think they need help at linebacker, although they probably disagree with that because they just re-signed um, Leighton Vanderlish. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing his name correct. And nothing wrong with him. He's he's very good. And I know he's been hurt the last couple of years. But, I mean, if you ask me, who's not a football expert, when I watch him, what do I see? Maybe some help at linebacker, some help in the secondary, although they recently – Signed Stefan Gilmore from my beloved South Carolina Gamecocks, uh, who um, has always been an elite cornerback. Um, so, you know, whether they get that in the draft or free agency doesn't matter to me. I would also say don't ever pass up on an elite offensive lineman. Uh, that's not, you know, the most glamorous pick to pick some guard or tackle or center from Wisconsin or Minnesota, but. You know, if you don't have a good offensive line, then you're not going to have a good offense. And if you don't have a good offense, you're not going to win in the NFL. So if Jerry Jones were to call, which he would not, or when Tim Scott buys the Cowboys, then I will be there with him on draft night. Um, mm-hmm. He's not going to pay any attention to what I say, but he will let me sit with him on draft night, I think. Well, hopefully he would, Trey. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, you've you've sat with me in sporting events. It can be a very difficult thing. And my, my guess is that, you know, at some point, Tim's going to say, look, I, I, I own the team. You don't. <laughs> you're not my general manager. Actually, you're just my chauffeur. So quit telling me who to draft. I could see that conversation taking place, but it wouldn't take place the first year. So I'd at least get one year sitting beside him. <laughs> True. You might go back to your TV. I know you like to watch it on TV. Uh, I do like to watch it on television, and I think uh, I, I don't have any proof, but I do think that people can hear me when, when <laughs> they I might scream. can. I I do. My you know Terry says they can't hear you. I'm not convinced of that. <laughs> well, you keep yelling and screaming and all of that. I'm gonna yell till the cops come. Actually, I'm gonna yell until the cops come and actually threaten to arrest me. They've come several times just to kind of check, do what they call a wellness check, because they heard some screaming and hollering. And and my response is always, did you see the call? Did you see that they did not call pass interference? Yes, I screamed and hollered. Yes, I did. But they haven't threatened to arrest me yet. You're too funny. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that question. And thank you, Gerald, for a sports question. Our next question is from Dan in Texas. He writes, when will an audio of Start, Stay, or Leave be released? Uh, Dan, good news. It's out. Mm-hmm. I recorded it myself, which could be could be good or bad, depending on whether you like or understand my accent. But <laughs> I wrote every word of it and I spoke every word of it. And it is available now wherever books or audio are sold. And truth be told, it's probably a generational. I don't know if it's generational. It may just be a convenience thing. I don't listen to books on tape. Um, I read them off of an iPad, but lots and lots of people listen to books. And that's why I did the audio myself and didn't get, you know, some voice actor to do it because I I wanted to be able to emphasize the points that I thought needed to be emphasized. But it is out and I hope you get it and I hope you like it and let me know. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And I agree. I I listen to Audible, so I'm in that generation or whatever you want to call it. But you're right. You read it and it's great. So thank you for answering that question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Our last question is from Joseph in New York. He writes, what is the purpose, law and justice in plea bargaining from arrest through trial and sentencing? Joseph, I think, first of all, that's a great question. And I always welcome that question. I welcomed it when I was the DA. I welcomed it when I was in AUSA. And the the best way to handle that, I think, is with, um, shockingly, with math. So when I was the solicitor with the district attorney, 12,000 warrants came into my office every year. 12,000 warrants. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean 12,000 defendants. You could have a defendant charged with four counts, four warrants of armed robbery, but 12,000 warrants. Um came into the office. If I did nothing, nothing but try cases and everything in court went perfectly, witnesses showed up on time, jurors didn't get sick, defense attorneys didn't file last minute motions, everything goes perfectly. All right, you with me, Mary Langston? Everything's perfect. You with me? Yes, sir. We're here. I can try 150 cases in one year. Mm. So 
let me flash my math skills here. 12,000 warrants. I can try 150 a year. And by that, I mean, draw a jury, opening, case in chief, defense, reply, closing, charge the jury, get the verdict. That's a trial. I can do that 150 times in a year for 12,000 warrants. Mm -hmm. So my math is not great, but I'm almost positive that leaves more than 11,000 warrants that were not handled that year. And it's the same every year. So that 11,000 becomes 22,000. And the next thing you know, it's 33,000. And all of a sudden you have what's called a backlog. And judges are sitting there saying, look, this case is three years old. What are you going to do with it? And victims are saying, this case is three years old. What are you going to do with it? And the jails are overcrowded, not prisons. Jail and prison are two entirely different things. Mm -hmm. Jail's where you go before trial. You're presumed innocent and you go to jail awaiting trial. But you should not be sitting in jail for three years awaiting trial. So year after year after year, the numbers just do not work out. So. A bargain is when you get something, I guess, in theory, for less than it's worth. Right? Is that fair, Mary Langston? Is that a fair definition of bargain? I got something I for less than it's worth? Okay. Mm -hmm. What is a case worth that will never see the light of the inside of a courtroom? What's it worth? So people call it plea bargaining. It's amazing. They do the exact same thing in the federal system, and they don't call it plea bargaining. They call it negotiations. And people are okay with that because we, we know the word negotiations, you negotiate. So let me ask you this. If you're facing 10 years in prison, it's not murder, it's not sexual assault, it's not criminal sexual conduct with a minor. Let's assume that it's you're just kind of a habitual offender of receiving stolen property. You just got multiple warrants for receiving stolen property and you're facing 10 years. 10 years if you go to trial and lose. So is anybody going to plead to 10 years? I mean, that's the worst thing you can get if you go to trial and lose. So am I going to accept an offer of 10 years when it's the very worst thing that can possibly happen to me if everything goes south? No. What will you take? Will you take nine years? No, because judge isn't going to give you nine years even if you are convicted. Will you take five years? Will you take three years? That's why you have plea bargaining. Because you have so many more cases than you can ever get through the system. So the deal I had, the deal I had with my sheriffs was, and I mean, we sat down, I had great, great, great sheriffs and great detectives. And we had this conversation. I said, look, I can try 150 cases. You're going to help me choose what those 150 are. So obviously you're not going to plea bargain murder cases. I'm not going to. You're not going to plea bargain child sex cases. You're not going to plea bargain adult sex assault cases. The more violent, the more heinous the crime, the less likely you are to offer anything. But I can tell you that, you know, there were years we had 30 murder cases. Mm -hmm. We had, you know, 100 sexual assault. We had a couple of hundred burglaries and all of a sudden your 150 are gone. You haven't touched the first drug case, the first property crime case, the first, you know, habitual offender case. You haven't touched any of those because you're just doing the ultra serious crimes against people. And you have more than 150 of those. So the best you can hope for is a prosecutor that has the good sense to know 
when to offer something and when not to. And again, my little rule was I'd rather lose a case than give it away in certain categories of cases. I'd rather lose a child sex case than plead it down to something that is dishonoring of the crime and dishonoring of the victim. And that does not get in. We haven't even touched on what if you might lose the case? I mean, just because somebody's arrested, I mean, it takes like on a scale of one to 100, it takes about 33 to 39 to get an arrest. It takes 95 to get a conviction. So what if I have an arrest, but I'm probably not going to win the case? What if a witness is gone? What if a witness is dead? What if the cop got called to Afghanistan? We had that happen. Mm. Witnesses who serve in the reserves and they're over in Afghanistan or Iraq. And the judge is saying, okay, pay to fly them back. And you say, Your Honor, my annual budget for witness travel is $10,000 for my entire office for the entire year. I have $10,000. Flying somebody back from Afghanistan, Iraq, putting them up in a hotel takes about half of it. Half of my witness money is gone with one case. If it's a murder case, do you do it? Yeah, you do it. If it's a drug case, do you do it? I mean, do you spend half your witness money on a drug case? So every prosecutor engages in plea negotiations. Uh, the key is in what cases and how you negotiate. And there are crimes that I'd just rather go to trial and lose than give it away. But those crimes exceed the 150 I could try each year. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have something of a backlog. And you're going to have to move cases. And again, keep in mind, prosecutors in South Carolina are responsible for the docket, or they were. So if you want to run against a solicitor, you're going to look at the backlog and you're going to say, well, solicitor X, Y, and Z has 10,000 pending cases. He or she must not be working. They got a backlog is the word they use, a backlog of 10,000 cases. Well, (laughs) yeah. They do, because they're spending all their time in trial. I thought that's what you wanted them to do. So it's hard. It's hard. Why? why, I mean, they plea bargain in every system. The question is, in what cases, what is the negotiation, and how are you going to use your trial time? What's the answer? The answer, I mean, on average, I think my prosecutors had between three and 500 cases per prosecutor. That's what was assigned to them. Three to 500 cases. And I had 25 to 30 prosecutors. More prosecutors, more court time, which means more judges. And people are already tired of spending money on the criminal justice system. So you want to know why there are, quote, plea bargains? That's why. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that. I mean, there's so many cases. I didn't even think about that part of it. So thank you for answering it. Yeah, I've only had one case and I gave that away. You should be really, really upset with me. Mm. If I have 10,000 cases and the judge is saying, look, I'm going to start letting people out of jail because you won't try the case. You hadn't gotten to the case yet. We got somebody that's been in jail for nine months awaiting trial and you won't try the case. I'm going to let them out. Mm. So if you're the prosecutor, you say, okay. I probably ought to try that case, except you have five times that many people out on bond awaiting trial. They're not in jail. (laughs) They're out on the street awaiting trial. And you got other people that are going to want to know why why you haven't tried that case. At least if you're in jail, you know, they're not committing other offenses. If they're out on bond, they might be. Mm. 
So what do you pick? Do you pick the jail cases or do you pick the bond cases? And then that goes into how do you pick which cases in general? Uh, well, I better get off my And that's a whole nother subject. We can get to that another time. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have enough life expectancy uh, in the charts to get into all of that. But it's a great question. I got it all the time. I do understand the frustration. It makes all of us furious when we see someone charged with all these serious offenses and the punishment, the sentence, the plea bargain does not match the severity of the crime. I would just say before you let your anger boil into full-blown rage, ask why. Was there a problem with the case? Were you going to lose the case? I mean, was there a witness issue? Was there, look, I had cops that got fired from the time they made an arrest until the time the case got to trial, they got fired. I mean, how good do you think that cop's going to be as a witness? Mm-hmm. In every murder case I had, I had to have a forensic pathologist. Well, what if the forensic pathologist is on vacation for two weeks? Well, then I can't do murder cases for two weeks because that's my witness. So ask why. Why is almost always the right question. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you all for sending us your questions this week. All right, Mary Langston, you take care of yourself. Thank everyone for listening. Keep your questions coming. I love them. It's one of the highlights of my week, even though it may not necessarily be anybody else's highlight. It certainly is mine. And thank you, Mary Langston, for your uh, diligence and um, the uh, artful way in which you uh, frame these questions. And also thank you for screening out the ones that I know you get, which begin, how can you be so stupid? We do not get those, but thank you for having me to do this. And um, I look forward to it each week as well. So we appreciate you and for all the listeners. All right. Well, you take care of yourself. Okay. And we'll see y'all next Thursday. Listen ad free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad free on the Amazon Music app. 